We all owe them, but very few of us know them. They are the men and women of our military and first responder communities. And these are their stories. American Warrior Radio is on the air. Well, hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to American Warrior Radio. This is your host, Ben Bueller Garcia. We're broadcasting from the Silencer Central studios at Silencer Central. Their experts make the buying process simple. They help you select the right suppressor for your needs, handle the paperwork, and deliver right to your front door when approved. Visit silencercentral.com to find out if buying and owning a silencer is legal in your state. What would you do? You're a high school athlete in prime condition. Your senior year of high school, you joined the military in response to the 9-11 attacks. After six years in the service, you earned the elite Green Beret and deployed with some of the Army's finest. Then in a battle with the Taliban, a machine gun round penetrates your helmet. Your teammates gather by your bedside while a priest literally gives you last rites. You're given an 11% chance to survive. Then you awake from a 30-day coma. You survived, but are completely paralyzed on your left side. Many of us, probably myself included, would have given up, but not Joe Lowry. Joe is now walking and driving and founded a nonprofit organization to help pay it forward. Welcome to American Warrior Radio, Sergeant First Class, U.S. Army Retired, Joe Lowry. How are you doing? I'm just wonderful, sir, and I tell you what, let me start off by saying you probably hear this a lot, but whenever I start to feel a little down about myself or my life, Joe, I I read stories like yours, and I think, holy cow, Ben, uh, things could be much worse. You're inspirational. Thank you. That's funny you say that because I actually just got done doing a little walk with a friend of mine visiting who uh, he actually works for a company that's one of our partners, Wave Neuro. He's their military liaison, and he was instrumental in my story because of their treatment. I'm able to walk today, you know, and him and I just got doing walking around my house. He's like blown away. He's like, Joe, I was just running the other day and I thought about you. Like you were just saying that, it, you know, if I can inspire people, that make you know, that motivates me or that, that makes everything, the suffering worthwhile. You know, those little things that people gain from it, you know. I, one of the things about your story that, I mean, obviously Green Berets are, are you know, when it comes to fitness, have to be at the top of their game because their life and that of others could de- depend on it. But, I mean, you were a high school hockey goalie. You were fit, uh, used to, you know, competitive sports. And then, like many others I've had on the show, what was it that, I mean, did you when you saw the 9-11 attacks on TV, Joe Lowry said, okay, I've got to do my part, or walk us through your thought process there. Oh, that far? Uh, you know, to be completely honest, and I think I outlined it in my book. If not, you know, I'll say it here. But I think, you know, I was a dirtbag teenager, you know, at that time. And I was like, I didn't really, like, understand the profundity of what had just happened and how much impact it had on the world. I mean, I knew it was a big deal, but I could care less, you know, as a teenager and trying to make it through class and party and whatever, you know. But I something you know. I always wanted to be in the military as a kid, and it was just divinely inspired, I guess, because I signed. I wasn't doing anything with my life, like I wasn't going to college. I didn't have good grades, so. And my dad had a philosophy or his statement directly to me. With you know us, his we had several siblings, and he's like, look, if you're not in college, you're out of the house at 18, or you're not working. So it was like the recruiter came, and he's like, do you want to go to college and stuff like that? And I was like the army will pay for it. And I was like, Oh yeah, sign me up. And I had just seen the movie, uh, Black Hawk down. And I was like, yeah, I want to be an army ranger. So he's like, 
and I tested and everything. He's like, your GT score is, you know, and he was a truck driver, the recruiter. And he's like, wait, you want to be an 11 Bravo, which is the MOS for the infantrymen, basic infantrymen. He's like, what is wrong with you? And I was like, cause I want to go fight. I want to be, you know, I want to be a ranger, airborne ranger. And he was thinking of the big picture and had been, you know, in the military and knew, understood how things work. But I signed up as an 11 Bravo, went to Fort Benning, Georgia, where I did basic infantry training and was assigned to a unique first duty station. I ended up waiving my ranger contract to go to ranger battalion because I didn't want to do that anymore. Once I got indoctrinated into how the military, how scary it was from my punk rock Southern California lifestyle, what a culture shock it was. I signed up for the honor guard at Washington, D.C., where I was stationed for my first several years in the Army, made it up to a sergeant, the rank of sergeant there. Did well, was a participated in the former president, one of my heroes, Ronald Reagan's funeral at Washington National Cemetery. So I got some key, you know, pieces of like history while being there. And it, you know, was developmental in my life. Started having, I had my first daughter while we were stationed there in Arlington and it re-enlisted and signed up for another non-deployable unit in California because my wife and I both wanted to go back to our home state and got a duty assignment at uh, Fort Irwin, the training base out there in the high desert, NTC as it's known, the National Training Center, which gets guys and gals ready for their combat deployments and a ton of time there not deploying and just doing basically being a glorified babysitter as I wrote about it and, you know, <laughs> as a, a staff sergeant, you know, with no deployment experience yet. So I was like, at the height of my drinking in my life, like I became an alcoholic and not happy with life. And, and then I finally got a duty assignment to Fort Carson, Colorado, which was beautiful with the fourth idea. I didn't deploy with them because I signed up to, I ran into a Green Beret recruiter. And I was like, I want to do something different with my life. Let me sign up for the special. Let me go to selection. I was a PT stud, like you said earlier. I loved working out and played hockey and growing up. And I was like, you know, I'm going to change my life. And I went to selection and that's where I met Mr. Steve West. I think you communicated with to get me on the show. Who's my business partner. And we formed United Wings of Liberty, our nonprofit, 501c3, which is just the IRS code for a nonprofit. And that is a whole nother story, too. And, and we'll and, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Okay. But I, just, I was curious how you – because that was what I was thinking, you know, kind of a Southern California, you say punk rock. I was thinking surfer, but, you know, close enough. And, you know, how do you get – how does a guy like that get into the Green Berets? So a quick question. We've only got a couple minutes before the break, Joe, but uh, I'm just curious um, – any special stories from your time as a University of Pineland alumni? Oh, yeah. There's quite a bit from that one. Uh, that you can share on a family show? Yeah. <laughs> that, that's a little different. But, yeah, I mean, that that's the mecca, as I call it, for any Green Beret. Like, that's where we go back. That's our home and where we train and learn languages. I learned Spanish there fluently, which I can still still speak. KD says Explicar cosas en español? No. There you go. Yeah, I, I'm not, you know, and I, that's a lot of guys. I never had any military tattoos until after my injury. And then I, my sister drew up a Purple Heart slash SF crest, like she's an artist. And I got that as a, for me, you know, I was a tattooed guy. And I was a, like most operators are. I had sleeves. And, I mean, they changed the rules, but now. But I was, you know, I, I had my, that was like my, my going away thing from, 
when I was finally medically retired. And I wrote most of the stuff I wrote in my book is about rehab and that war because that's where I spent a good bit of my life now, you know. Mm-hmm. I was uh, By the time I was medically retired from the military because I was fighting the med board to stay in, I wanted to go back and serve, which is a key thing. A lot of guys want to do that, because, and that's why there's a high suicide rate, in, dep- in my opinion, humbled, intentional on that, humbled opinion. It's like, yes, there's, you know, tons of guys and gals that just, they're depressed when they get out of the military because you're there, you know, especially in the special ops community, you're serving with the elite folks that are at the top of their level. It's like a professional athlete. And then you come out and you're like, you're, this is, life is just, it's not the same. No, and I, I, I get that. I, I Obviously, I never served, Joe, but I, I hear that a lot, particularly from the from the tip of the spear people. It's it's a sense of a loss of tribe and, uh, you know, a sense of loss of mission. Uh, Joe, when we come back, I'd like to talk a little bit more about uh, your service in the Green Berets. Just real quick, now, two deployments to Colombia and two to Afghanistan or two to Colombia and one to Afghanistan? Two to Afghanistan and one to Colombia. Okay. I wasn't even close. There you go. All righty. We'll be right back, ladies and gentlemen, with more with Sergeant First Class Retired Joe Lowry. We'll be talking about his uh, nonprofit organization and his time. Uh, just a very inspirational story. Don't forget, you can find this podcast and over 500 others at AmericanWarriorRadio.com. We'll be right back. Welcome back to American Warrior Radio, ladies and gentlemen. This is your host, Ben Bueller-Garcia. We're talking with Joe Lowry. Joe, a very inspirational story. We're going to get into why I think you'll be as impressed as, as I am. Joe, we're talking about your time. You were assigned, once you joined the Green Berets, you were assigned to the 7th Special Forces Group. As you mentioned, you were deployed once to Colombia and twice to Afghanistan. Um, one thing I heard in an interview with you, and, and you talk about it, and I'm... I'm it's a huge honor of my life to serve as the Arizona ambassador for the Green Brave Foundation. So I'm I'm very familiar with those elite troops. And one of the things that has always impressed me, Joe, is, you know, when you talk about warriors, I mean, Green Braves could be literally teaching folks or helping build a well one day and then going into the fight the very next day. I mean, they are really, they're truly force multipliers at every level. That's right. There's a there's a quote about it, and I'm going to use it here, but the Green Beret is unique in the way that we we train other folks to fight and die for their country so our country can, and our presidents and political leaders can have a low viz. Going back to, like, Vietnam and stuff like that, where we go and you send a 12-man team in, and we train them to fight and die for their country instead of young 18-year-old American soldiers, you know, there and we have, you know, it's a, it's a huge political advantage to have Green Berets in your your corner, you know, force multipliers, like you said, one of our nicknames. Because an ODA or a detachment, a 12-man team can train up to a battalion's worth of fighters, as that's what we're trained to do, and we multiply and 
make warriors from just regular people. That's the concept of the Green Beret, you know, blend in with your environment. And I mean, we'll shoot bad guys when we have to do that direct action mission. That's one of our core mission sets, but it's not primary. You know, we're trainers, teachers. Sure. It's a misconception that Hollywood, you know, with the movie Rambo and going back. (laughs) I chuckled because I saw a video of a presentation you did. I I guess it might have been back at your your old high school as an alumni and a a history teacher had you come in to speak to his students. And he started off by saying, well, you know, you're all familiar with the, the movie Rambo. That's fiction. And I'm thinking, my gosh, have we fallen so far that we have to tell high school kids that Rambo was fiction? But that's that's a whole other thing. Let's uh, talk. Let's yeah. talk about July 17, 2014. Joseph ODA 7232. If I get a, get it right, tell us yeah, where you yeah, were yeah. and what what your mission was that day. So we were seventh group, the seventh special forces group. We basically they break it down. We're we're always when we were in that country of combat, we focused on the southern part of Afghanistan and that, that typical that specific deployment in 2014 we were in Panjway district and that is actually ironically the birthplace of the Taliban so I was a late deployer on that deployment because I had my son he was being born in the special forces they allow us to like stay back for those very important events in our life you know and because we have that funding to move you know and maturity to move individuals around like one operator, you know, at a time. So I deployed late to the deployment and jumped in to the rotation a little late. And by the time I got on the ground, I was getting, you know, as a se- one of the senior guys, because the way they break it down on a detachment or the team, you have a senior guy. So I was an engineer, the Special Forces Engineer 18 Charlie, and actually one of the senior guys on the team, like completely senior, because they were switching out. It, it's kind of a quick turnover rate, and especially nowadays. And that's something that's like guys fight for time to stay on a team. It's competitive because they want you, you know, you want that time getting deployed. Guys, you get so, you fall in love with that. And, you know, you just, it's, you get in your groove and you really enjoy it and deployments and stuff like that. So it's like being a professional athlete, they fight for that, you know, string position or whatever, you know, and you're wanting to stay in, you know, goaltending to use that example because i played hockey as a goalie you, you know you want to be the the first string goalie so you get to play more games i guess that's a good analogy for it and operators are usually that way you're fighting for deployments because you get more pay and it's you know resume builder in the military for promotion and things like that but you just enjoy it sure tell us so what uh, you were as i understand you were um manning a, a gun up in the turret of, uh, I guess it's called yeah, an so MRAP. My, uh, mine resistant vehicles are MRAPs, which is, they're just, so they're up there up really high and they have, I don't want to get into too much of the science and stuff behind it because I was a demolition expert as a 18 Charlie on a team. So I understand IEDs are the improvised explosive devices. That was always my fear. I would get blown up because I would go out and deal with those things straight up, you know, no, no like bomb suit on or anything. I would just go up and walk up to them and check them out. And most of the stuff in Afghanistan, not all of it, but most of your IEDs there are not that sophisticated comparatively to like, I never went to Iraq, but just reading up on like the documents from there and stuff and doing research. I was like, it's a lot late. They're a lot more sophisticated there with their stuff. But anyhow, so the vehicles have a a special shape 
bottom to them so that way they deflect the blast whenever one of those goes off and protect the people inside of it. And so these vehicles are very high profile. It's needless, you know, to say it in a way. So they sit up very high, and I'm on top of the gun. You then wanted to be up there as one of the senior guys. You want to lead from the front, you know. That's a leadership technique. And, you know, that's something our political leaders could learn from. You know, you take the brunt. You, know, you eat last in the military. If you're, They teach you that in the base. Like when you're a damn buck sergeant, they teach you that, you know, hey, you don't eat before your soldiers. And any father knows that, you know, you don't, mm-hmm. if your kids, you know, you let them eat first. Yeah, that's just kind of the way you do it. But I was up on top of the truck trying, and not only for leading from the front, but I wanted to have better visibility for if we came across the, improvised explosive device so I could see it better and know what the heck was going on. So I was on top of the the port on the top of the vehicle, as you say, the gun mount. And with my last memory was like looking through the scope of my rifle, my SCAR rifle, which is the new combat arms rifle that the special operations community has, carbine rifle. And looking through my scope, I mentioned this to one in my book. It was like, I asked one of my command sergeant majors, why did, Mark, why did I do that? You know, it's like if I would have just stayed inside the vehicle and tacked off rounds, I wouldn't have ever been in this position. This all was said when I was in the hospital suffering tremendously post-injury, you know, and that was my last memory is looking up through the scope of my gun. And then my medic tells me I slump over and fell into the truck and he, he goes to work on me right away. Like, because that PKM round or the belt-fed Russian machine gun 7.62 by 50-something went through my helmet, right through my helmet, which I have sitting here in my room, because that was one of the first things I asked my colonel for when they came out for my Purple Heart ceremonies, can I have my helmet? He's like, sure. As soon as you send it back to Ops Corps to do the evaluations. And Joe, Joe, uh, please take a pause there, because we need to take another break. I want to go through the details. Ladies and gentlemen, we're talking with Joe Lowry. Uh, PKM Raud pierced his Kevlar helmet, entered the front of his skull, traced around the back of his skull, and exited in the back, causing tremendous damage. We'll get around to more of that when we come back. Here's your host, Ben Bueller-Garcia. We'll be right back. Welcome back to American Warrior Radio, ladies and gentlemen. This is your host, Ben Bueller-Garcia. We're coming to you from the Silencer Central studios. At Silencer Central, the experts make the buying process simple. They help you select the right suppressor for your needs, handle the paperwork, and deliver right to your front door when you're approved. Visit silencercentral.com to find out if buying and owning a silencer is legal in your state. Silencer Central, where they make silence simple. We're talking with Joe Lowry who is just a real inspirational story. Joe, we were talking about that uh, fateful day, July 17, 2014, in Afghanistan. You were manning 
the turret gun and your MRAP, and you're you're hit by a, a PKM round, which is 7.6 to about 308 millimeter. And uh, exactly, that's what it is—the U.S. version. It's a 308. Ironically, my dad had a artificial 308 round like that, and he passed since his past. And so I wear that now mm-hmm. to kind of explain to people what what it is that happened to me. I was like, hey, this is what hit my head went through my helmet. You know, it's it's a helpful way to illustrate it. You know, sure. seeing is believing, really. You, I don't know if this is true or not, but so you, you, it was a very early start that day, and you come back down out of the turret, and the medic at first thought maybe you had dozed off or something, starts slapping you around and realizes that you'd been shot yes. in the head. That's what Mike, Mike DeMotto, or St. Michael, as I call him, looking after me, and he, uh, he, from his perspective, he says that I just slumped over and fell into the truck. Because you got to understand, from my perspective, it was like you go to bed at night and you know how you just everything's a blur. Mm-hmm. That's what it was like. I mean, and the coma, same thing. And I was in a month long coma, and that just was a flat, a blink of an eye. I mean, I saw pictures of Obama, former President Obama, visiting me as uh, Walter Reed and my team and everybody seeing, you know, at Roll Three in Kandahar priest coming and giving me the last rites and all that and the purple heart because at that point in time they were like he i guess from what my wife tells me they were phoning her and telling my family hey it's not looking good but we're gonna get him to launch stool and which is a combat triage hospital in germany before they got me home to walter reagan in northern virginia so so do you really in civilian terms you were in the turret and then next thing you really consciously remember is, is 30 days later when you came out of that coma? Yeah, that's, I mean, it's like you go to bed at night. There's no a neuropsychologist told me or confabulations, which just means made-up memories. And, you know, I've, like, been people have filled in little blanks. Like my former team sergeant, he escorted me over the Atlantic from Germany to Washington, D.C., and I, I was stationed and worked, like I was mentioned earlier in my bio, that I was with the Honor Guard there, so I kind of understand, like, how that stuff works, so I think my brain filled in some of those memories, and I was like, in my head, I thought, like, they, if you're familiar, are you familiar with D.C. or maybe some of your listeners are, mm-hmm. but there's a, a freeway called 395 Beltway, which is big, big old, does a circle around Washington, D.C., and goes into Maryland, and but anyhow, so I, like, in my head, they had landed the C-17, which is the military aircraft, on that. But I probably, now looking back, you know, I was probably in an ambulance looking out the ambulance window on the freeway. But in my head, I was in the airplane. So, I, you know, these memories that the docs, like the neuropsychologists and stuff, they call them, you know, they're like these they're confabulations and like I said before, those are made-up memories because our brains can't just accept no memory in those spots, you know. So I've had to backfill them in with those little little details that are filled to me by people, you know, that were there. So your teammates literally had already said their last goodbyes there in, in Afghanistan somewhere, but I'm guessing they were pretty uh, pretty happy when they got the word that you were actually going to make it. Yeah, so they... Uh, they actually, at that point in time, they were under the, when they put me, the guys, I've been, you know, I've spoken with, I stay in contact with a lot of them, and that were a tight-knit group. And uh, they, you know, they said, when we put you on that C-17 for uh, for Bagram, that was from Kandahar to Bagram, 
which is the northern base, they were like, you're uh, that that was it. We we're not going to see Joe again. And then when they hear the word, you know, word gets passed on that from the stories I hear from them and like in their heads, they were like, Joe's dead, you know, and they, that was it. Goodbye. So they were they went on a well, you know, the guys tell me they're like, we wanted retribution, you know, and they they went and just knocked out so many Taliban. Like, they cleared this entire village that was heavy Taliban-laden. I have the whole battle assessment damage, BDA, on this plaque sitting here in my office. They flew a flag, like, on the truck, and they gave, the command gave it to me and everything as a hmm. retirement gift. Nice. Joe, yeah. really, this began a, a second battle for you. Now you... You survive, thank God, and you come out of the coma, but now you're paralyzed on your entire left side. What what motivated you? I mean, what spoke, you know, to to Joe Lowry saying, okay, you're not giving up here. You've got to get going. Well, when I go back to those early stages of, like, coming out of the coma was so disorienting and you know, like I said, being in it for a month, like all of my core muscles had atrophied and I couldn't even talk when I first came out because I had a trach and I couldn't eat or drink. You know, I had to hand yeses and nos. And it's funny, I wrote about it. They gave me a way to say yes and no to questions, thumbs up for yes, two fingers extended for no. And so my, my kids could communicate, you know, they, they taught them a way to pose questions like, Daddy, would you like this? Yes or no. And it was just a very funny reason I bring it up is because once I was, like, I couldn't even hold my head up initially, drooling on myself. So I, I heard read once that one of the first things you wanted to do was, was to to drive again. And that's that's what's so impressive. And I want to spend some time. We've got just about three minutes left in the segment. But, you know, lots of organizations helped you and your family. But there's a number of... Uh, I don't know if technologies is the right word in techniques, but literally Joe Lowry has gone from being paralyzed uh, completely on the left-hand side to, to now you're actually walking a little bit even. Yes, sir. Uh, actually, like I was mentioning earlier, I was just getting done walking through my house with one of my friends. And, you know, it, it, me, I love walking. Like I always joke and say, I'm like, hey, you ambulators are people that can walk. Mm-hmm. And I say that with disdain because I'm jealous. I want to be doing that. And, you know, I'm like, you guys can't wait to sit down. I can't wait to get up and walk around. How long can you estimate, Joe, how long was it from when you came out of the coma before you took those first steps? Well, it was, I mean, we had, when I was up at Palo Alto, which was the VA that I initiated my uh, rehab at, I couldn't even speak when I emerged from my coma there. I was not able to. Like I was saying before the break, I think it was that I would communicate my yeses and nos with hand signals. And then because I I had no movement on the left side, they had a device called an exoskeleton. And the PT, they they have a lot of technology up there at Palo Alto because they're right next to Google and all those big tech companies. So they get access to all kinds of cool stuff. And they had the exoskeleton, which is, I don't know if you've heard of that or your listeners have, pretty cool technology. And it's basically a robot thing that you walk in. And the PTs or the physical therapists, 
there wasn't a lot of good prognoses from what you know for my recovery so they were trying anything to get that muscle you know turned on and me up and moving and so we would go on walks throughout the hallways there with the exoskeleton on which was very painful because it's essentially a metal apparatus that you put on the body outside exteriorly of the body that helps the patient with mobility and it's got some rough parts about it and it's kind of jarring because we we move very freely and it's not it restricts you but it would allow me for my purple heart ceremony to be standing which is on youtube and on my channel united wings of liberty i I tell you what joe we we've actually had the some of the companies were de- that developed that technology, and it is pretty amazing, but uh, I can imagine it was not uh, not without some, some pain. Uh, Joe Lowry, when we come back, I want to talk more about your uh, United Wings of Liberty and your upcoming book. Ladies and gentlemen, this is your host, Ben Garcia, here on American Warrior Radio. We'll be right back. Welcome back to American Warrior Radio, ladies and gentlemen. This is your host, Ben Bueller Garcia. We're talking with Joe Lowry. Joe absorbed a, the equivalent of a 308 round, entered the front of his helmet, spun around over his skull, and exited out the back. Joe, literally, so there's the, you know, there's a saying, all of us who are married probably have heard this before from our spouses saying, boy, you just, you've got a thick skull. But <laughs> in your case, that's literal, right? It's medically proven, combat tested. <laughs> fair enough fair enough joe i looking at your background there's a number of and i'm so proud and i tell you my position joe is there's never enough you know there's plenty of need out there so that you know welcome to the party if you've got an idea to how to help our, our veterans and our military you know jump on board you received correct me if i'm wrong but you received a service canine uh, named dash from rebuilding warriors you received a special cool wheelchair before you're walking from wheelchairs for warriors and then a special home from Homes for Wounded Warriors. As, as you're going through this process, Joe, was all that support something that inspired you to just to kind of think, you know, along with your, your partner Steve West, that hey, um, there is this help out there, but it's not it's not easy to I don't want to say easy to find, but there's a way that you could help smooth that transition and support other veterans. And that's maybe some of the thought that went into founding United Wings of Liberty. That's one of the thoughts. And do you know who Tony Robbins is? Sure. So he always talked about like, and this was something psychological, like if you write out your goals, it helps them manifest or something to that. And I wrote out just randomly going through as we just passed a new year, like every new year's I wrote my goal list for the year. And I wrote out, this was several years ago now, I think like four maybe, because we Develop United Wings of Liberty three years ago now. Time is blur. COVID time, as I call it, mm-hmm. it's kind of made mess with people and myself very much so. But yeah, I wrote it. I wrote it out on my goal list because I wanted to. I was benevolently, you know, avail, you know, had a lot of benevolent organizations help me out along the way, and I wanted to be able to do my part. And I thought a lot about it, and I was like, God, how do I serve? And you know, a friend of mine mentioned to me, he's like, Joe we've been trained to network and he's like, just do what you've been trained to do. And I sat back and thought about that. And I was like, okay, you know, and then I had a 
a veteran not that I served with, but I met the guy when I was in my last rehab center, Center for Neuro Skills, what taught me how to walk again. And he, him and I met there, and he was he had a traumatic brain injury post military service, and he I won't mention his name for privacy reasons, but anyhow, so the guy was very like highly suicidal, which a lot of our veterans are, and that spoke to me. You know, I was like, okay, and the guy looked up to me a lot when we lived together. Because what they do is they put you up in an apartment, supervised with cameras and stuff, and the staff, like, steps in and kind of helps you out where you need help. And this guy was ambulatory, so he could walk and do all that, but he just needed some help with the cognitive tests, like taking his meds and making sure he was at the right place at the right time. But he was always helping me, because he's six foot eight, and in the apartment we lived together, he was always helping me with things because he knew who I was in the Army and looked up to me because of that, you know, serving as a Green Beret and this and that. And I was like, and after we exchanged numbers and everything at the end of our time together in the rehab center, and I was like, hey, you ever need, you know, you're ever not feeling well, you call me, okay, buddy? And he's like, I got you, you know. And so him and I sat and we, you know, anytime he got, was depressed or needed help getting walked off the edge, as I call it, meaning, you know, talked down from these incidents that, these thoughts we have and I was like I sit and talk to the guy and I was like that's what it takes you know and you know my opinion humbled opinion is the VA doesn't know how to do they have their 1-800 numbers but that's nonsense I mean it it makes me want to commit suicide whenever I call the VA I'm like I get so frustrated and annoyed and it's like we can do better than that you know and so I was like let me help out where I can help out you know I can talk and listen so I opened myself up to that and that was part of the idea, too, because his fiance at the time wrote me this heartfelt letter about how much my relationship with her fiance meant to him. And I was like, okay, God, I can, that's a sign I, you know, can serve in that way. And that was one of our initial, like, with United Wings of Liberty, we helped this gentleman out, connected him with one of our partners, who I, I think I mentioned earlier that we're instrumental in my rehab process they're a medical company that does tms it's brand it's very complex i mean it's trademark their mm-hmm. program and what it does for the brain it's using basically magnetic fields to stimulate the neurons or brain cells is in it they can mess with the brain and kind of stimulate things that are jacked up from trauma and all that so yeah we got him connected with them and he got treatment and like myself has been just doing great since then and you know it's that treatment helped him but i don't know if it's more of the fact of just showing brotherhood and community of people you know got his back you know it's like that might be the actual that's that's huge. That's huge. So, Joe, you and you and Steve and Steve West, uh, basically the co-founder and the CEO of United Wings of Liberty, you went through training together. You established this organization in 2019. Folks can find out more. Visit uwol.org. It is a recognized nonprofit. Is it safe to say, kind of Reader's Digest version, Joe? I mean, you're relatively new. You're you're small, but you're a, a conduit to connect That's veterans right. with other resources, but most importantly, with vetted resources. You're doing your due diligence on these organizations. Yes, sir. That's pretty much it. And my passion is I'm like that, you know, I don't know if you heard it, the whole, uh, some people, I mean, it's well documented, but there was a big scandal with a wounded warrior project mm-hmm. that came out that they were like embedded, you know, embezzling money, their higher ups and stuff like that. And that to me is just 
unacceptable. And, you know, I don't, that that's why, like, I have a stance about it. I'm like, I don't care about getting a salary from any of this. Like, it's all about just helping save lives. And to me, that's the most important thing I can do. I, I've been blessed. You know, Jared Allen, like you were mentioning, built my home here in Southern California. That's, you know, I don't need to live a luxurious life. You know, I just want to walk and drive again, which, you know, I'm waiting on that. I'm gonna, that's going to happen. Joe, real quick, let's talk about, uh, we've only got a couple minutes left. Let's talk about your book. My understanding is you've got it pretty well fleshed out. It's just a matter of getting it published. And what, what should, do you have a title for it yet, Joe? Uh, yes, I, it's kind of long, but I want to distill it down because, you know, and that's, I'm going to leave that when I finally find a publisher that's on board with my idea and thought process on the project. You know, that's what why I trust the Lord's timing on these things. You know, and it just I want to make sure it's all done right. My vision is to have all of the proceeds go into the nonprofit and us giving back to veterans, you know, just supporting that community and, you know, helping people out that way. And But right now it's kind of a long title, and I'm going to distill it down as best possible. 11% chance of Green Beret's tale of war after returning home from more rehab story. Marketers and stuff like that, they'll come up with a way to shorten that for you. But, you know, that could be like a synopsis or whatever. Sure. Well, that's that's what you pay them for, Joe. you got to know what you exactly. know and what you don't know. So, Joe, right. we're just about done. It's been a pleasure talking to you again, folks. You can learn more. Visit uwol.org. That's United Wings of Liberty. Uh, Joe, where do you and Steve see this organization, say, five years from now? I would love it to be, you know, national level. Like, to me, you know, whenever we're having a call, I'm like, like I said before, I don't plan on taking a salary from it, but I want it to grow enough where we can help as many veterans. To me, that 22 a day, that mm-hmm. statistic is disgusting in the real pandemic in this country, not COVID-19. You know, that's detrimental to a certain population. But the fact that we have warriors that have served this country honorably and then come back and don't get the proper care and end up offing themselves, you know, unacceptable when we have the ability to take care of them, you know, we got to take care of our own first. So I want to grow it to where I'm able to help more people and reduce that number at least, you know, by a few. Because okay. one is unacceptable to me. I, you know, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I just can't imagine, man, you know, you and your comrades signed an oath payable literally in blood for some of them, unfortunately. I think it's, it's the civilian's responsibility to send you to war, so therefore it's our duty to support you when you come back. I'm going to borrow that. That's a good motto right there. There you go. It's our responsibility and our duty to take care of them once they return. So, Joe Lowry, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Again, folks, you can visit uwol.org. Please give my thanks to Steve West for introducing us. And just, you know, let us know what we can do to help. And and keep us in mind when you uh, get that book published. Let me bring you back on, talk a little bit more about that. I sent you a tip that uh, hopefully you'll take advantage of in that vein. Okay. Thank you, sir. All right, Joe Lowry, God bless you you too, sir. Ladies and gentlemen, another one in the can. Please share these important stories with your friends and associates. You can find over 500 podcasts at AmericanWarriorRadio.com or whatever your preferred streaming platform is. We're on iHeart, Amazon, Google, Spotify, Pandora. We're everywhere. Just seek us out, AmericanWarriorRadio.com. And again, please share these important stories. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, all policies and procedures are to remain in place. Take care. You've been listening to American Warrior Radio 
Archived episodes may be found at AmericanWarriorRadio.com or your favorite podcast platform.